Welcome to the Salem Emerging Leaders Podcast, presented by the Salem Area Chamber of Commerce. Here are your hosts, Jacob Espinoza and Zachary Zalicki. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm going to be honest, I am still riding high off of the summit last week, the Salem Emerging Leaders Summit. Thank you, everybody that showed up. It was an incredible success. We are so grateful. Willamette Valley Vineyard stepped up as the title sponsor. Jim Sparkman stepped up as the lunch sponsor. It was a big deal. It really was. And I am really excited for today's podcast. We have Kasha Combs, who is a community mindset consultant for Mountain West Investment Corporations. Kasha was born in California, has moved to Salem, and is an incredible member of our community. Our conversation today is focused on being at your best and things you can do to really excel in your career, but also things that are important within the world of inclusion and things that we can be doing as leaders to make sure the people around us feel included. I appreciate you tuning in. We are back. The Salem Emerging Leader Podcast. Kasha Combs, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. This is a newbie to podcast. First ever podcast, huh? First ever podcast. I am a podcast virgin. Well, we appreciate you being here. And you're not new to being great, though. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> I don't take compliments well. <laughs> well, I always loved uh, speaking with uh, transplants to Salem and people that are bringing amazing value. You're doing incredible work at Mountain West and partnering with Arbinger and a lot of uh, incredible leadership training is coming out of the, the group that you're working with. I feel very fortunate to be able to participate in the Groundworks cohort this year, which has been a lot of fun. And, and Kasha, you just went through an inclusion training through Arbinger, mm-hmm. who I didn't know they offered something like that. So that's kind of kind of cool. It is a hot topic. A lot of businesses are understanding the value of inclusivity, which I think is is great. Um, but in the community as well. I mean, I want to make sure that we're we're making the right steps. So. I want to hear from you. What are the things we should be thinking about when, as we're creating an inclusive environment? Um, well, there's a very long answer to that question. So, where do we start? Like, yeah, where's what's ground? If we're thinking of like uh, the soil, right, and and doing the groundwork, like, where where do we get started? Sure. I mean, I think at least where the training starts with is helping leaders think about this sense of belonging, right? And I feel like the the quickest way for us to identify well, what does that feel like we need to identify within our our experience right when was a time that i really felt like i belonged that the people that i was with saw me not just for i don't know what i brought to the table but they saw me as a human being right and what did that feel like and what did they do that made me feel that way why did i feel that why did i feel that i mattered why did i feel that i had value um and when we can identify why we felt that way that we we felt um we can then try to figure out okay how do i create that in my own organization beautiful so first like identifying within ourselves this is what made me feel value are there exercises that people can do to to help with that because i feel like there's um i feel like people sometimes have it like you wake up in the morning and you're just like i understand the value i bring i'm confident i'm ready to go but sometimes people wake up and like man i suck like i'm just gonna have to exist another day and you don't really look forward to it, right? You don't understand sure. how you're contributing. People around you maybe feel like you're not doing a good job. Like, are there things that people can can do to to kind of bridge that gap? You ask, you're asking very complicated questions, and I'm trying to give simple answers to. <laughs> um, I mean, I think one thing you can do that's easy is what I said: like find someone that's made you feel like you belonged, and just spend time with them, right? Mm. Um, 
I think a lot of when you're seeking out a mentor in your life, that should be a value that they bring for you, right? They feel like you have value and you're smart and um, you have things to give. And I, and there might be some people in the world that really don't feel like they have anybody like that, right? Um, and with for that person, I I think it is kind of this type of um, I don't know self exploration. Yeah, no, um, I can see that because I I truly believe that. Um, I mean, there's, there's greatness in all of us, right? Um, I think that's one of the beauties of humanity is that as human beings, I think a lot of our purpose here on earth is to develop and is to grow and is to become, um, something different, right? Every day we're growing, every day we're changing. Um, and I don't think that that's just by circumstance. I think that that's just part of the human nature. Yeah. Um, is this sense of growth and, and so when we're seeking and striving for that, I think there's just always this calling to be better. Um, and some people snuff that out, right? And I think it's those people that wake up and they're like, oh, I have no purpose. Um, it's because they're choosing to ignore that call that's deep within, right? And whether that's insecurities or past relationships or different traumas or things like that, then it can be hard to kind of dig all that up. Um, but I do believe that people's humanity and the call to see others' humanity um, is, is there within all of us. Um, so that was a kind of a tangent, but I guess the advice there too, is if we can't see, see greatness in ourselves, sometimes it's even just spending time around people that we feel do see greatness. Um, maybe not in us, but in, in themselves and say, how did you get there? Right. Well, what value from a, from- from an organization's perspective or a business or even from a relationship perspective, what's the value that that comes with this? Because, you know, there's been a lot of politics uh, behind, you know, even the word inclusion, but it's shown time and time again recently that there's tremendous value to it. Mm-hmm. So if someone's listening to this and, you know, they operate an organization or a business, like what value would you tell them? Like this is going to help you in this way. Sure. Um. As like an individual or as a leader? Uh, both. Both? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, speaking individually, because that's where we were speaking before, I think when we can see our own greatness and can see our own growth, we're more motivated um, and we're happier. Um, I've, I have a lot of, I've ran into lots of people in my life um, who are kind of in this slump, right? Um, and are frustrated by their, where they're at at life or what they're doing. Um, and they're just bugged. But what is so prevalent in their life is the fact that they're not seeking ways to challenge themselves or to grow, right? Um, I think as human beings, we try to find this complacency, right? We want to be comfortable. Um, but it's in that comfort that we actually end up being most miserable. Because again, I think part of our human nature is to grow and to develop. And so the best way for us to find joy is to actually to challenge ourselves and to make ourselves uncomfortable, right? So I guess when we make ourselves uncomfortable and we challenge ourselves, the value in that is joy and um, purpose and all the things that you need to really personally thrive in life and in business and, you know, as in relationships and everything. Um, and as a business leader, I mean, if you can create that sense of purpose within your organization, I mean, imagine what that feels like for you if you have felt that purpose and how much it's driven you and to make you work hard. Um, and if all of your people have that same drive, I mean, the, um, the quality of work will 
very easily go up. Um, just people want to be there. They won't be kind of just trying to drudge through their days and, you know, feel, have a case of the Mondays every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that a more positive work environment where there's a stronger sense of belonging means that there's a stronger sense of purpose, um, which means you as an organization will thrive. I love that. The, um, the, the, I mean, outside of the comfort zone, that's where everything happens. That's where all the, that's where all the growth is going to happen. And I feel like it goes against our natural instincts because mm-hmm. our natural instincts are like, where can I be safe? Mm-hmm. Where can I just exist and know that like I can just rest here? So it does take like a, a shift in mentality to realize like I need to get out of this if I'm actually going to be fulfilled in life. And I think a lot of people miss that part. And you just develop this mindset where every day you wake up and like, what do I need to do to be safe today? And when you do that, like you're going to be in the exact same same place, right? Or I mean, honestly, worse off. You're either growing or you're deteriorating one or the other. So when we're intentional about thinking through, like, what are the, the hard things I can do? And it doesn't have to be like if you use fitness as an example, you don't have to get up and run a 5K tomorrow. But like maybe you can walk. And if you can walk, like start there, like do something small that's going to help you get in the, the right trajectory is just such an important piece of, uh, of life advice for, for everybody. And I think we can apply that to a lot of different areas of our life, whether it's fitness, health, relationships, business. And I think if we're, we're honest with ourselves, like we don't generally take enough time to think back, like, am I spending my time in a way that's going to get me to my goals in these different areas? Well, I think a lot of people also see that as like, ugh, I have to put forth effort to like grow. It's going to be hard. Right? It's going to be hard. Ugh. It changes hard. And that's all true. But if you're really honest with yourself, think of how much effort it's taking for you just to exist in the state that you're in, right? And in the mindset that you're in and the amount of effort that you're having to put into getting out of bed each day. I mean, I I, I just always call BS on that, right? When people are like, oh, it's so much harder to try. And it's actually not. Um, because once you try, you're actually motivated to do hard things. And, you know, where. And it's where before you kind of felt like you're trudging through mud and now you're sprinting through a field, right? Yeah. Um, because you're chasing after something and there's, and you're still, you're still going to run into obstacles and there's going to be hard days and you're going to get tired. Um, but I think both things take effort. It's just deciding on which type of effort we want to, um, put our, I guess our time into. Yeah. Where do, where do we want to put the effort? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the other thing that people don't give themselves enough credit for is on that growth process. When they make a mistake, they're like, ah, oh, I failed. Like, I wasn't going to, like, eat sugar for this month, and I had a cookie. Like, oh, I failed. <laughs> it's like, you ate one cookie the last two weeks. Like, look at, look at last month. Let's compare it. Yeah. And, like, this is a tremendous progress. Like, celebrate that success and, and get up and keep going. Yeah. I do want to get back to the, the inclusion <laughs> piece. This is, this is great. And you're fired up. You're in your pocket. I'm loving it. The um, what, what are things we can be doing? Um, maybe based off the training that you sure. went through, but as we're creating programming for the community essentially sure. and trying to find find people, make sure people feel invited. Like what can that look like? Yeah. Um, well, I think again, like the first step, what's great about this training is you actually spend the first morning addressing your own biases, right? How am I getting out? How am I getting in my own way? Because I think it's really hard as a leader to create a, uh, an environment of belonging and safety and inclusion when we ourselves are not alive to the impact, the negative impacts we're having, right? And the biases we carry. Um, so I do think that really that first step is to identify how am I part of the problem? Hmm. Um, and because I think not, it's a lot easier to look at, gosh, this is my culture and blame other things, right? Yeah. Um, and to blame um, 
the system or to blame like, oh, well, I just have a bunch of millennials or whatever, right? We just start um, blaming different groups of people or different situations. But really, the first step that we need to take as leaders in our organization is to identify, okay, where do I need to change, right? How am I not truly seeing people as people? How am I contributing to this culture of um, exclusion and, um, I don't know, there's, like there, a lack of safety? Yeah, there's a quote that I, I love. I think it's related. It's, um, businesses are perfectly built for the results they are getting. Hmm. And it's good or bad, right? Like if your business is struggling and you're just not hitting your goals and people aren't following through on expectations and everybody's showing up late to work, like what is it about the systems in your business that's creating that environment? But it also works the other way, right? Hmm. When we have inclusive cultures where people are showing up motivated for work. So kind of, I think kind of building off your idea. Yeah. And I think a lot of people too, they want to hear like a checklist, right? Of like here, if you do these five things, um, you'll have an inclusive um, environment. Um, but if, I mean, if you've been through an outward mindset training, one of the very first principles that they teach is that mindset is deeper than behavior, right? And how in an organization, if you're trying to invoke change, usually what an organization does is they change what they do, right? We're going to start this new initiative. We're going to create this new program. We're going to whatever it is, right? We do all these different behaviors, but most organizations, what they find is that in doing all those behaviors, it's if things do change, it's really just temporarily, right? Because what you haven't really focused on is the mindset beneath that. Um, so I think in order to really create um, a culture of diversity and inclusion within your organization, you first have to change the way that you as a leader see um, not just your people, but all people, right? Um, and you have to help your organization change your people change the way that they see as well. And then by changing the way that you see um, and changing your mindset, that will then behaviors and what to do will become more obvious. So is the thought that if the leader has this mindset shift, it'll kind of naturally just be contagious through the organization and people will also have have a similar impact or or a similar uh, shift in how they view the world? Or are there things they can be doing to help facilitate that shift? Sure. I mean, I don't, it depends on the leader, right? I mean, I think there's some leaders that do operate already in that space, right? Where they, they put in that effort to see people's people to, to acknowledge their biases and, um, to be the first to change. Um, and no leader's perfect, right? So I think what as a leader, yes, it can have this domino effect, but it has to not just be this one time thing, right? A leader can't just call, be like, okay, hey, we're all going to do this diversity and equity inclusion training and check, we did it, right? And now we're all going to change and now we're all going to be different. I think it takes continual work um, and a continual um, effort to be accountable. I think leaders that can be the first to admit when they've been wrong or been the first to admit when they've seen someone falsely um, and to, and have them to not just do that once and make it a big apology and it's a big ho- um a big thing, but they continually just every time they're like, you know what, I really dropped the ball on this, or hey, I really failed to see you and your needs. Um, and it just becomes part of who they are. That is when it starts changing an organization. Um, it's, it can't just be a one time change, right? It has to be this continual change in this effort that they see a leader take. Are there myths that you see, or myths like misbeliefs um, within the world of inclusion, or places that you think companies generally will get it wrong when they're trying to create this culture? 
Yeah, I think I think because like you mentioned at the beginning, I think it's kind of a hot topic, right? And so it's the trendy thing to have a diversity and inclusion training. Um, and I do kind of sometimes feel like it is this checklist thing. Well, we better do it or else nobody's going to want to work here, right? People aren't going to want to work at an organization that doesn't care about this. And so they're doing it. They're doing the behavior without actually changing the way that they see, um, which can have um, a lot of, I mean, that could just lead to disaster, right? You can actually end up having the wrong organization and you could be hiring people diverse individuals that end up just being tokens within your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think that they don't realize that, but they do, right? Um, because people can feel the way that they're being seen, right? And you could be doing all the right behaviors and be telling them that they're great and we're so you're so valuable and we're so lucky that you're here. Um, but if you truly just see them as this token within your organization, they're going to feel that. Um, and it's going to make you a hypocrite um, and it's going to poison your culture. Yeah, I saw a, a stat recently that um, I can't remember the exact names, but I think it's uh, there are more CEOs named Michael or James um, in the Fortune 500 companies than there are women hmm. CEOs in Fortune 500. And you just look at the data like that. It's like, man, there's still a lot of work to be done when we think about inclusion and what are we doing to bring up the next generation of leaders because it's not necessarily going to be that hiring decision that's going to have the biggest impact because you might get to a place like well there's just no candidates like well what are we doing to develop candidates and if we look at like our high potential leaders and the people that we're investing in do they all look the same and if they do then like all right well what that's that might be a problem that might be where we need to start like let's start there in our development processes and making sure that we're inclusive there so that we have people internally that are ready to fill into these executive roles because to your point, there's a difference between have, giving somebody a seat at the table and giving them a voice at the table. Mm-hmm. And if you're performative, then you might the seat the table might look different, but the ideas that come out might be the same because you're you're still listening to to one group compared to another. Right, right. And I think you also have to avoid the trap of, um, of being afraid of hiring another white person. <laughs> right. Um, I do think organizations, if you really just focus on hiring the right person for the job um, and really identifying as an organization, what does that mean? Right. I think a lot of people's biases start in that hiring and onboarding process. Right. Um, one of the a really cool question that the training has leaders ask is what are you doing um, or who would assume that they don't belong in your organization? Right. Um, from an outside perspective, who would look at your organization and think, oh, yeah, there's no place for me there. Um, and if, there, if there's a large group of people that are thinking that, then you've probably got to do something different, right? And that doesn't always mean I need to change who I'm hiring, right? Um, it could just mean I need to open up my hiring pool to a wider range of individuals. Um, you can still hire, you know, the white guy. I'm using quotation fingers. Um, but you know, but make sure you're looking at everyone else and making sure that your your organization and your culture is a place where people feel like they could belong. I think it starts before the hiring and onboarding process. That's you know, that's um I think that's exactly where I'm focusing a lot of time right now is like how do we make sure people know that they are invited? And I think right now like Zach and I are really focused on the things that you can't scale so that we'll be we'll be able to scale, which is like individual invitations. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we're having this event. 
I know that you're working on this thing. Like, this would be perfect for you. We'd love for you to be able to, to be there. Um, because we do, we want people to be able to look into a room and be like, all right, like I can, I can identify, I can see people are like me here. There's, there are people that are, are like me yeah. and it's not always going to be based off of like a gender or a, a nationality, but it, it might be just like a dress code. Right. Sure. And like something that we talked about in a podcast recently is if you show up into a room and everybody's wearing a suit and you don't own a suit, like you might not feel welcome back into that room because right. like. I've, I've t- I shared an experience where I was like jeans and a button up shirt because that was the nicest thing I had. And the button up shirt didn't even really fit that well. So I got <laughs> it at like TJ Maxx the day before the event. But um, like I walked into a room, everybody's dressed like in suits. And it's like, man, I don't I don't think this is a place where I feel comfortable. Like, sure. Um, so we, we definitely want to be hyper focused on making sure people do feel invited. And when they're there, they feel included. Yeah. Well, I think that goes even deeper than I think the problem there is our deep um stereotypes and biases and not even that we have of other people that we but we believe of ourselves um i think what's crazy or a lot of people are just like i don't have any biases right like i i love all people i don't see color i don't see color or whatever it is yeah right and that's so naive yeah because you have been living your life in a world that has been communicating to you over and over and over again stereotypes and biases and for you to not to think that you are, um, uh, like what's impacted. that word? Yeah, or not impacted by that is incredibly naive, right? It's just it's part of the human brain. If you hear the same thing over and over and over again, even though the, when you first time you heard it, you knew it was false, you start to believe it to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things are told to us by our parents, by our schools, by the media, um, and. They just continue to build these stereotypes that not only serve, but like better than stereotypes that I think about myself, right? I'm better because I come from a middle class family or because I'm white or because I'm tall, right? Um, I start to believe these narratives that I'm better because the world has told me so. But there's also narratives that I have where I believe that I'm worse than, right? I'm worse than because I'm a woman, um, because I'm emotional, because um, because I have a religious background, right? I mean, there's so many different um, narratives that I carry in my head that make me believe that I'm less than or inferior to the world. And I carry that with me when I go into rooms um, or into interactions. And we have to remember that every single person has the exact same thing, right? Every person has um, these better than narratives and these worse than narratives, but they're both of them are all lies, Right. For us to believe that we're worse or better than any other human being is just a lie. Right. We have to believe that we're all the same. And in both beliefs have their negative impacts. Right. If I walk in thinking that I'm better than everyone else, then I don't listen. And um, I end up hurting people. I end up making decisions that are, um, you know, putting pe- make reinstating people's worse than beliefs. Right. But also if I walk into a room and I have a worse than I'm spending so much time trying to prove them wrong, right? Or um, to make sure that I don't fall into this stereotype, right? If I'm a woman, I need to make sure I keep my cool. <laughs> um, but because, but then I'm putting all of my effort in the wrong thing, right? So instead of actually being um, an active participant of the conversation or of a problem solving, I'm spending all this time in my head thinking, oh, I better say the right thing. I bet it has to be intelligent. Oh, that's not smart enough. And then I'm actually not helpful either. Right. So I don't know. I just think I, that's why I think when it comes to organizations and leaders, it has to start with you and it has, you have to identify 
what are the narratives that I have in my head and which ones do I need to, to change so that I can then, um, cause as soon as I identify in myself, then I can be better to help other people, right? I can help other people. I can recognize where there might these be these better than, um, cultures or practices within my organization and I can change them. Um, and I can also better see those that feel worse than and put in the right effort to make sure that they feel valued and seen and help, help them change that narrative for themselves. Well said. That's beautiful. What was the, the biggest takeaway for you going through the training? Was there something that stuck out? Like you feel it changed how you view the world? Um, there was a quote and I'm going to read it because I didn't have it memorized. Um, but it was a quote that said, I must know the truth very exactly if I'm able to conceal it from myself so carefully. Um, it's from Jean-Paul Sartre, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, and what I, what, I think we go around assuming that these are unconscious biases, right? Um, they're like, oh, well, it's just my subconscious. I can't control that. Uh, but is it? Is it actually subconscious, right? Because that the point that he's making in that quote is that I have to know the truth so exactly for me to cover it up so perfectly, right? I have to know that what I'm believing is wrong so that I can make myself believe that it's right. Um and so it just, it made me really ask myself, what, what am I trying so hard to convince myself to be true when I know it's false? Um, and how much energy am I putting into that instead of just being the authentic leader that I want to be in my organization? Um, and how am I inviting others to also live this lie with me? I think as leaders, that's, that's what we do, right? If we lead a certain way, we invite others to believe that what we're doing is the right way right um and we have to really be alive to the impact and the the long-lasting impact that we have there um because it really does take work to ignore people's humanity um and i think the best thing that we can do as leaders in our organization is to first identify how we are doing that um instead of trying to make our entire organization change it takes work to avoid how do you say that? Say that again. It takes work ignoring others' humanity. Man, that's powerful. That's deep right like there. That. That's energy being spent to like not see somebody as a person. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've always looked at it the other way. Like it's a very passive act, but it's not. It's like it's it's, it's an action. Yeah, you, you went yeah. through the uh, not groundwork. What was the out, outward mindset? Right. I haven't gone through that yet. I'm actually scheduled for April. They 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 filled up too quick this time. I, I went oh. through it back in oh goodness September. No, mm-hmm. no, this is last june it was yeah, when it was, it was a like 117 out yeah um i remember going into it it was funny because i had the most closed-minded like mind when i uh, going into it i was like this is gonna be one of those feel-good things and one of the very first things that the guy who was speaking said is this isn't supposed to be a feel-good thing this is like you need to own reality and you sometimes you need to make decisions that might quote unquote, hurt other people. Um, but you always have to just be true to yourself. And that's so much that's come come to mind so much. Like when I'm talking with my friends, mostly about political stuff. And one thing I always try to reinforce in people that are close with me is, and it's a little bit to your point and what that quote you just said, you know, why do you think about the things you think about? And getting really, really deep and trying to like unpack your thoughts and your biases and the way you think about things. One of my favorite things to do with my friends, again, mostly is my friends 
always call me when there's a political issue going on and what my thought thought on it. And I always turn it back to them like, well, what do you think? And then I, I'll, I'll kind of argue against them. I may agree with them, but I'll argue against them to, to get them to think deeper. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how now I have my friends doing that back to me. And it's, I think, you know, from a culture perspective and uh, even I think you can do this amongst people you just have relationships with is just finding a place where you can be comfortable with that and just digging deeper into people's biases or their their general thoughts about things. And it doesn't always, I mean, it, yes, it starts with you. You always have to, I think, be aware of that. But then how can you kind of change that onto people that are close with you mm-hmm. and not doing it in like in, you know, to be, uh, well, that's the word I'm looking for. I think I do this every time. I always forget a word in antagonistic. Okay. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, I, I know one thing with my wife that she's taught me so much is like, stop mansplaining things. <laughs> and, you know, I would do that a lot. And she finally called me out for it. And I mean, that alone has like opened my mind to new things. And like when I'm talking with someone and they, no one, no one enjoys that. And I think that can even instill that insecurity in a lot of people when you have to come back and be like, well, this is the way that it is. So from a conversational standpoint, I think it's so, so important when you're talking with anybody mm. to to really address and think about that. Yeah. I like it. This has been one of my favorite episodes. Oh, woohoo. Yeah. First time. And look at me. Just brought the one house down. Showing it. Yeah. <laughs> podcast tour with Kasha coming soon. Woohoo. The podcast, podcast tour. tour. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. But groundwork, Mountain West, um, I mean, your team's doing an incredible job and in really creating something special in our community. I know it's not a, a single person that, that's doing the work. It's it really is a team effort. So we are big on this show on this show, making sure people understand how appreciated they are. And Kasha, I think it's it's special what you bring to our community. It's special what you contribute to the team at Mountain West. And uh, I'm grateful we've got to know each other and I can't wait to see what happens next. But we got to move on to the hot seat now. Okay. Yeah, hot seat. Three questions. Are you ready for the hot seat? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did, you did not prepare me for this. That's why it's the hot, seat. hot seat. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm ready. First question. Best place to eat in Salem. Oh. Okay. Um... The first, I'm just going to go with the first one that came in my head. I could name seven different restaurants, but Bowen Vine has always been my spot. There was a time before the pandemic, I would walk in, the entire team would be like, Kasha, and they would, <laughs> there was a time like the music was being played late at the night, and we just all like belt, stood up and belted the song to each other. That's and beautiful. Just the culture and the vibe, and I mean, you can't beat those fries and tots and unlimited dipping sauces. Oh, it's, Every yeah. restaurant needs to get on that. Yeah. Because... Awesome. I I will make an argument that a restaurant is only as good as their dipping sauces. Mm. Um, I would read that blog post. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, five, five, a five thousand word thought piece on <laughs> the value of unlimited dipping sauces. What I, I love yeah. about it too is when you go up and you know you order a couple sauces, they're like, oh, I'm going to throw in a couple of these and mix them together yes. and tell me what you think. Like they give you, so I mean, there's like twelve or fifteen different options. Yeah. But then with all of those, you're like, I'll oh, mix these two. Yeah. And I'm I'm right there with you. Like I I'm a big dipping sauce guy. Yeah. Big dipping sauce guy. Yeah. What's, what's your thing at Bowen Vi? What do you have a go to usually or do you mix it up? Um yeah, I'll either go for if I'm filling a burger, I'll go for the um oh gosh, now that's on the spot, I'm forgetting. Yeah. The one that has the steak sauce. Okay. Um I love steak sauce. 
That's so good. And it has so like the crispy onions. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's really good. But if I'm going chicken sandwich, I'll go for the sweet Caroline. Yes, yes, it's yes, yes, yes. So good. The sweet Caroline is it's the best. so incredibly good. Mm-hmm. They use that, that mustard yes. stuff. That they, it's oh, it's, it's so yummy. insane. Yeah. I think there was a week where I ordered that one time. And I think I went had it like three times that week. It's so good. Yeah. What's your favorite spot, Zach? Let's let's all do the hot seat questions. I think that'll be it. <laughs> this is the first time we're doing this oh. on the podcast, but well, I mean, there's like we all get said, a question. It, so it, Zach will go next, and then you get asked the third question. So you have uh, time to think. Oh, I had to ask. Th- I had to get asked a question. We okay. did, we're making this up. Yeah, we're go. making them as. Well. Oh, this is exciting. Okay. <laughs> I probably my single favorite thing to get in Salem is the uh, burger from Noble Wave. Okay. Mm. I mean, I'm. Like the hot bird sandwich? No, the burger. No, just the burger. Okay. Just a, it, so it's a smash burger, mm. and the buns that they get for them, I, I'm pretty sure they get them from Louisiana. And I love Riley down there. The entire staff team down there is incredible. Uh, they got great beer, but yeah, probably just their regular their regular mm. burger. It is to die for, and I dip it in their doink sauce. Have you had Noble I, Wave yet? I have. I haven't had Noble Wave, but I've only ever gone for the hot bird. Yeah, the hot sandwich because I was like, what everybody said you had to get. The burger is, it's so good. I love how okay. annoyed you were that you went with the decision. Everybody has had to get I know, this, so I'm I went such a follower, it. group follower. <laughs> no, I mean it was fine. I still think that Bowman Brian has a better chicken sandwich. Okay, Thank you. controversy. That's I, a hot I, take. I, I shouldn't hot say take. this on here. I, I personally do think that <laughs> yeah. Bowen Vine's chicken sandwich is better. Yeah, but Noble Wave's burger is like okay. I'll have to try far it. and above. And the crazy part about it too. Because you know when you eat something for the first time and you're like, this is so good. Mm-hmm. And then you go back again to get it and you're like, I want that like, quote unquote, high again of yeah. like experiencing it for the first time. I swear, every time I eat that burger, I get like this, this release of endorphins. Yeah, I don't know what they put. It's so <laughs> good. But every time and I love taking people there for the first time, I'm like, I just want to see your reaction when you eat this for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, I'm going. Okay, yeah, you're, oh. So my, I'm up, right? The uh, My favorite place to eat. So I'll say this. Like Noble Wave is where we usually go as a family. My kids freaking love that place. Mm-hmm. My son gets the burger. My older son gets the burger. He's eight and just crushes it. Yeah. <laughs> and then my uh, seven-year-old son gets the avocado sandwich every single time. Mm. And I told them that I knew the owner of Noble Wave and they lost their mind. It was like I knew a celebrity. Oh, Riley's <laughs> so awesome. He's a great He's guy such for a good sure. Dude. Um, so that's usually where we go as a family. I'm not I'm trying to not steal your answer, but I think that is. You're supposed to say they can eat or I. They, can, they have great cake there. I've never ate a meal there. I haven't either. No. Got the yeah. cake though? I have gotten the cake. I have never been blown away though. What's I maybe is I shouldn't say that on a podcast. No. You get out of that out. We she need to have fun. My family owns it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got you the right stuff yet. Okay, that's there fair. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Send me the right cake. I have had actually your chocolate on chocolate. That cake's pretty good. The blackout? Yeah, that's not okay. It's a fan favorite for My sure. My mom doesn't listen to this, so we're okay. We're good. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Her face got B-rich. She's like, no. It can't be. I'll, actually, I'll probably go with Acme. Acme's so good. They do really good work there. Yeah. Man, that or Wild Pear. It used to be the same order. Wow. That's where we used went. To, used to be the same owner. We've had lunch there a couple of times. Yeah. No, those are probably my two. Oh. I think, yeah. If I'm thinking outside of the box a little bit, trying to push myself out of downtown. Wild Pear's downtown, of course, but. You know, place is really good too. Is uh, word of mouth their breakfast? Yeah, mm. they, they're closed again now. I, I know it's just it like today. back and forth. Yeah, oh, such tease. It yeah. is. They're they're great. All right, next question, Zach. And then, gosh, you get the last. Yeah, I get the last. Okay, are you more motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? And if you'd like me to explain those, no, I get it. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, oh, such an interesting question. I think, I think it's the thrill of victory. Um, because if I can see sense that I'm going to lose, I can actually, I, I take a moment and I tell myself, Kashi, you're going to lose and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then I don't care yeah. for the rest of the game. And yeah. so if I win, it's great. And so I just have to, if I, so I think because I take that moment, I, I can, I can save myself from that feeling of agony, mm-hmm. agony. But when I feel that victory, I mean, even thinking about it now, like my heart's pumping. Yeah, yeah. Like I am so, I love, I love the feeling of winning. And mm-hmm. I didn't play any sports in high school, probably for, um, it's probably for the best. I would have been ruthless. Um, <laughs> cause I'm very competitive. I will like flip tables. Like I don't know if you ever play Bunko. It takes zero effort. You just have to roll dice and it's a hundred percent chance. But when I win Bunko, I feel like I've won the lottery. Okay. Um, Honestly, you and my my oldest son is like the most competitive person I've ever met. Like h- losing for him is just like the worst thing that can happen in life. Yeah, I can cry if I lose. Yeah, he is pretty worked up. Mm-hmm. For me, it's neither. I don't, I don't know. Like I don't care about winning or losing. I am just like focused on what am I learning by this. Okay. And to the point that like when I figure something out and I get good at it, I'm kind of like bored with it, and so I do something else that I'm terrible at, and I have this like cycle. Yeah. So we were talking about the growth. <laughs> the growth process earlier mm. like i'm at a point in my life now like i'm realizing i need to like lean into this even though like it's not exciting this is out of my comfort zone to keep with this even though i'm finding success with it so i'm trying to like get better at doing things oh, i'm dude. good at as opposed to like starting something new that i'm terrible at and starting from scratch but i think having gone through that process so many times it's allowed me to have a pretty unique skill set so like yeah I'm, I'm a thrill of victory guy too yeah except with one caveat and i'll get to that caveat in a second but my thing is, is I don't feel like I ever lose. I feel like I just learn. So mm-hmm. if I lose at something, it, that kind of drives me like, okay, well, I, I really want to win this now. And how can I get better at X, Y, or Z thing? But the one thing I do get really, really frustrated in is when I play with my close friends in a round of golf and I lose, I get really irritated at that. And when I win in that, I'm just like, yeah, okay. I'm supposed to win. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But losing in golf with my close friends, it really irritates me. Huh. But other than that, yeah. Are there people that you beat in golf that you're like, okay, that felt pretty good? Uh, just, no, because I mean, I try to golf with people that are like way better than me. To, okay. to, you know, I feel like when you golf a lot and you play with people that are better than you, it like elevates your game. Um, but, you know, I've never beaten someone that I, sh- that I shouldn't have beaten. Gotcha. So, okay. But I've definitely lost people that I should have beaten by like yeah. a mile. <laughs> and that's a it's a mental aspect of it okay so. all right third question um okay this is the first one i came up with i already am feeling insecure about my question um but with you guys being you know the chamber um what do you think is the one business that salem is missing like what business opportunity what one thing should exist in salem but doesn't i like that yeah um, do you want to go first? Um, we kind of talked about this on a previous episode and we've actually talked about Akasha outside of the podcast, but just something to do after dinner. Mm. I think there's a huge market for that and also things for families to do together. I think there's a big opportunity there as well because we have like bowling, but nothing out South. Um, so I, I think we're, uh, we're ready. Like we're growing, the community is growing so fast. And the market's there for it. The market is ready for it. Like we did a, I did a New Year's Eve party for kids like two years ago. 
and it sold out like in three hours because <laughs> people were like, oh my gosh, something for kids to do. Like, I'm going to yeah. sign up immediately. Uh, we didn't expect that at all. So people were mad. Like, we didn't know it was limited capacity. Like, what's well, inside a building? Sorry, there's fire codes yeah. and stuff. <laughs> um, this is pre-COVID and everything. But the, uh, yeah, so I think that's that's what what I see as a as a hmm. opportunity. Yeah. I was in Sun River or in Bend last July and done this did a brew cycle done it a, quite a few times with my friends and i and this time was different because we went out at night mm -hmm. and it was so cool going around and seeing the atmosphere and like the nightlife and mm -hmm. bend all these restaurants being open like i mean the place was just packed mm -hmm. and i think in creating like something fun and that can invite different businesses into salem uh would be something like a brew cycle mm -hmm. and what's cool about it is you know if people don't like drinking beer, you can get ciders or you can just do it for the experience. But just going around at night and seeing Salem from kind of a different lens yeah. and bringing and inviting people to like making downtown just a little bit more exciting and fun at night. I think that would be one really cool thing. Yeah. I feel like we're going to make that happen this summer. I'm pretty sure that Zach and I if you want to be, we're looking for a third partner. All right, I'm, so. I'm in. I'm in. Yes. <laughs> I kind of want to ask her now what well, we got to hear your answer. Yeah. Well, but what I've already told um, Jacob is that I'm a huge karaoke person. Okay. And I feel like there's some karaoke, but it's it's in like random bars and yeah. here and there. And it's on some nights. Like there just needs to be like a spot yeah. where like they have places where you can either like rent a room in the back or there's like a public area in the front, right? If you want the thrill of performing in front of strangers. Um, like I lived in Salt Lake and there was... Um, all types like there's a piano bar place there was um you know where like you had one person on the piano and so you could sing to a piano or you could um i don't know there's just like so many different types of karaoke spots for people just to get drunk and sing and i just think that that's really fun i mean some people don't need to get drunk to embarrass themselves and i'm in that yeah. category um <laughs> but yeah i just think more things like that right like kind of for all in theme of just i think we have you know we have the axe throwing we have the breakable plates place yeah um we have the escape room um but really just finding yeah more of those experiences so that there's yeah so that when i have friends come to, like when my friends in portland come down to salem they're like well, what should we do yeah. and i'm like let's go to bowen vine yeah yeah like they're pretty convinced it's the only restaurant in salem <laughs> <laughs> because we need people to like experience salem and like plant that seed of like maybe i can move here in the future yeah not like hey i never want to come back because I don't eat at Bow and Vine every single day. Right. Right? Actually, I have to change my answer. I just got a new pair of rollerblades for Christmas. Okay. And I'm really into rollerblading, and I think we need a roller rink. I we used to have one. We used yeah. to have one, and yeah. they just got rid of it. Yeah. And I'm really heartbroken about it. Like, there was a place called, like, the Fun Center, and they had, like, arcades and stuff in the background. Yeah. Um, but then they had this huge roller rink, and every Friday night was, like, 80s night, and so everybody always dressed up in 80s and in went Salem? roller skating. Salem, that was not in Salem. This was in Salt Lake. Oh, okay. But, um, but yeah, I just think... I think there's something to be, there should be like some sort of fun center, right? Or families can just go and there's a bunch of different mm -hmm. things. Let's just take over the JCPenney's. Has anybody bought that? Turn that yeah. into a fun center. All right. Looking for investors, email me, <laughs> jacob at salemchamber.org. If you're interested, we're looking for partners. You'll be doing most of the financing. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> and the work. <laughs> and the work. I got a job. I'm busy, but <laughs> I don't know what my role is, but it'll be something. You had another question you wanted to ask? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes in the same thing. I guess you kind of already answered the million-dollar question. Oh, yeah. I love that question. Yeah. If you had a million dollars, 
to spend and say, well, what would you do with it? Mm-hmm. But it had to go towards like a... Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorite things is that I'm, I've identified something I'm most, most passionate about is just creating space. Mm. Um, and I think if we could just create more places to have families and people and, you know, diverse communities come together, a place that's affordable and safe and fun for all ages and all people, I think that will create, um, like a stronger sense of community. And we have the Croc Center, but it's like so far out there, you know, if we had something closer for kids just to, and families and teens and young adults and, yeah, um, to come together and just be with each other. The YMCA. Yeah, the YMCA. Oh, the YMCA, you're right. That is going to be, be legit. Cool. Yeah. Place is gonna be but you're nice. right, the more of that type of But more focus. of those kind of things, yeah. yeah, so that people really feel like they can go a place and feel like they belong, that this is their home. I like that. Kosh Combs, thank you so much for joining us on you're Salem so Emerging Leader Podcast. This has been a ton of fun. Great. Over and out. Over and out. You just got done listening to the Salem Emerging Leader Podcast, and we appreciate it. If you look in the show notes, you will find a link If you click on that link, you'll be able to subscribe to the Salem Emerging Leader newsletter. We want you to be in touch with all the incredible things that are happening in this city because of people like you. We appreciate you. I hope you have a good day.